Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hello, everyone. Today we are doing a classic sci-fi horror film from the 1950s, It, The Terror from Beyond Space. Yes, um, this is, what, probably the second oldest movie we will do um, after Return of the Vampire, I guess. Yes, yeah, this is this this is going way back. This is a possibly we saw this on Creature Double Feature, you know, back in the early eighties. Um, right. It's it's possible we had seen this before we saw it or before we remember. Uh, yes. As we describe this movie, people are going to be thinking: Are they talking about Alien? I think they're talking about Alien. Yeah. Alien was in 1979. That was a Ridley Scott movie. Maybe they don't know what they're talking about because it sounds like they're talking about Alien. And this is, you could be considered a prototype for, for Alien. Sure. Um, the gentleman who wrote Alien, uh, Dan O'Bannon, has cited this movie as inspiration for his script. But even then, you know, this isn't the first, you know, men versus monster from outer space movie. No. And even before this, there's an extremely early science fiction novel, I think from the 19-teens, actually. Um, there was a science fiction author called A.E. Van Vaught. I might not be pronouncing that last name. It's V-A-N v-o-g-t he wrote a adventure space serial called the adventures of the space beagle because much like charles darwin's beagle that went around the planet studying alien life that's what the space beagle did and Uh. one of the adventures called black destroyer an alien life form gets on board the space beagle and causes havoc and use the, sh- the ship's air ducts and passageways to move around and attack people. Oh, very neat. I didn't hear that. That's almost um, that's almost like proto-Star Trek, too. Very much so. Um, yeah. it's, it's actually considered one of the first um, space operas and helped really start the science fiction boom of, of that period. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think I've heard of that. Like, um, like I, I know, I know Starship Troopers goes way back. Starship Troopers is, you know, nothing quite like this. But I just, I know the the book goes, uh, goes way back. Yeah, I had an edition of it at one point or another that I got through the science fiction book club, and it's, and it is really, it is pretty entertaining. So I don't, yeah, I um, what's it called now? Uh, the Voyages of the Space Beagle. The Voyages of the Space Beagle. But okay, the, yeah. the chapter mostly that is about the alien is called The Black Destroyer. Oh, very neat. So, anyways, we I think I first heard about this movie when somebody, probably in a either a Fangoria or a Rue Morgue, somebody alluded to this movie being the inspiration for Alien. So I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I should check that out. And I picked up a copy on VHS and I found it extremely entertaining. It's it's very fast-paced. It's a quick movie. It's an hour and nine minutes. Right. Right, yeah, because it's not a huge cast either, so it's not like 15 minutes of credits. No, and it it moves along as a rapid pace. 
And I'm like, because there's, like, I could cite dozens and dozens of monster movies and sci-fi movies just like, well, not just, but like this, but are just dreadfully boring. Right, right. Painfully slow, um, really drag out, you know, basically every scene and every aspect of the monster and every, if, if you ever get to see it much. Usually a scientist exchanging techno babble and, you right. know, complete nonsense about life forms and space travel. And, right. You know, engage the, the, the pulse thruster 9000 engine. Right. We're off. And like, you know, the, you know, sometimes the creature might even be like the background of the story, um, as it turns out, whereas no, this, this has, you know, very much like when you see it, you can very much see where a lot of modern sci-fi convention has come, especially Alien, but you figure everything that um, Alien has inspired. So, you know, what came after it? In in much the same way we discussed, like, you know, the Buck Rogers and the, and the Flash Gordons of before, um, you can you can definitely see it in this movie, you know, much like you could see the the shades of Rio Bravo in um, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and so on. Uh, did yeah. you say the, Did you say this as a favorite of John Carpenter as well? Not not his favorite, but like a a favorite this of John is, Carpenter as well. Was it him as well? Yes, he doesn't. Yeah. This is one of his his uh, one of his favorites. I don't know where it fits quite on the list, but like, like I said, this is another one of those probably after movies the thing somewhere that. Um, you know, especially in the, the late 50s, were, were cranked out by studios and really were meant for, like, the, the, the kid matinees on yeah. Saturday afternoon. Yeah. You know, double features. The kid could go in, see a monster movie, a cartoon, eat a bunch of popcorn and soda, and then, you know. If, if, if we did this movie, or I should say, if we did this podcast, say, in 1973, to pick a year at random, um, you know, we might be talking about this movie because um, this is one of those like genre films, um, especially for back in the time that you're right, was that's supposed to probably be a throwaway, um, you know, made pretty quickly. Like the, the budget even for 1958 isn't huge here uh, and, and it shows. But you could also see the the love that was put into it at the same time. Um, it's well acted. I really like the dialogue. Um, it's well directed. Like the the effects, again, are even cheap for the day. But when you, the movie just really works um, and you can see, you know, you can just kind of kind of go along with their effort here. And plus it, it helps that the story is uh, familiar, um, it, you know, for, for someone such as myself, especially at the time where it's like, ah, you know, that's a black and white movie. This is probably 20 years ago or more. Um, you know, it's a black and white movie. Like I like aliens, uh, of course, and, and, you know, space, um, sci-fi rather movies and including sci-fi horror. And this, but this one, you know, it was tough. It was just like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an older movie. I expected, yeah, tons of melodrama. I expected maybe five seconds of the monster and so on. Um, but you, you know, you had convinced me with some of its bona fides, or at least for the people who had, um, you know, who had been inspired by it or who vouched for it. So that was, an, that was enough to watch it. And I'm totally glad I did because it's certainly flawed um, as, you know, uh, genre movies, especially, you know, low budget ones tend to be, but I don't know. There's there's just a lot of energy still to this movie that um, makes me glad that I, I did give it a chance and um, still watch it to this day. Uh, you know, flaws and all. Oh yes, absolutely. This is a move. This is a science fiction movie. Extremely light on the science, very heavy on the fiction. Right. It, it's it's better than it probably should have been. Like it's better than you know the budget that it was given. It was budget better than the attention that 
you know, or the or the 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 respect that it was probably given from like a studio standpoint, you know, make some money so we could get people's eyeballs on a drive-in, and it's supposed to be slapped together with another, you know, double bill or something. Um, one of those, yeah, double feature kind of drive-ins, but it's it stands out, uh, and you can and you can see why. Um, like I said, I think I think it definitely helped to know that okay, this is supposed to be a proto alien, so that's more or less what I expected, and that's exactly what you get. <laughs> It works because, as we said, it, it keeps the pace going. It yeah. gives you some characters that you like and you want to root for. Sure. Um, it doesn't waste time. It gives you the monster pretty much right away. And it, 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 it also has just enough of that 50s quaint to it, too. Yes. Like, it actually, that actually helps. Like, it, it helps that it's still of the time. It really does, because there's some like really charming and interesting stuff that you know happens as a result of uh, of it. Nothing like major to the plot or anything. It's just it's just fun. It's fun watching them have like breakfast with um, ceramic coffee cups at a table at a breakfast table and smoking cigarettes. They're smoking constantly. Yes, yes. Cigarettes are part of the hold. Yeah, that's part of the plot. We joked that you know they kept going into the area controlled by the monster because well we need cigarettes. Well yeah, I mean that's it's pretty much why one guy gets killed is he's going in to get more cigarettes from cigarettes the um, and coffee. Yeah, from the uh, from the hole. So let's set the scene. All right, so the movie was made in 1958, but it takes place in the far off distant future of yes. 1973. Can you even imagine 1973 and... as the opening states? It begins on Mars. Yes. And we get a voiceover narration by our main character, um, Colonel Carruthers, played by Marshall Thompson. And he explains that he and his crew crash landed on Mars several months ago, and he is now the only survivor. Yep. And just recently, the rescue mission has shown up, and they have placed him under arrest, under suspicion of murdering his. So, so it almost starts. It almost starts sort of uh, where the movie Aliens kind of starts, uh, in, in a similar respect. Except in this case, you know, where they find like Ripley, you know, floating around on the ship. Except they, you know, on top of it are like, you know, we also think you killed your crew. We don't believe your alien story. Yes. Yeah, so the movie starts out with our hero basically under house arrest, and you know, he's given freedom of the ship because where is he going to go? It's a spaceship right. heading back from. From Mars to Earth. And right, like Earth. I said, technically they're all prisoners of the same ship. Yes, but he'll have a person with him at all times keeping an eye on him. Right. So, you know, of course, he, he's trying to tell, you know, uh, Colonel Van Heusen, the leader of the rescue team, that, no, it wasn't me, it was the monster. Yeah, yes. yeah, a monster, see? A monster came out of nowhere, killed my crew. Colonel uh, J. Crew with fantastic eyebrows. And, um, you know, one of the guys is like, well, I don't necessarily believe his story, but it's not impossible for there to be a life form on Mars. Well, sure. Like you said, it's almost the size of Texas, which is actually way like I love the ambition of this movie. Like you said, light on the science. Um, you know, they're like, OK, by 1973. Yeah, sure. We'll be on Mars. You know, well, that, and you know, <laughs> obviously that's it's, it's we don't on mars but it's implied that they they have mars with a breathable atmosphere right right you know? um and mars and, i mean mars is considerably smaller than earth but it's it's not that small like it's much much larger than texas 
Well, I don't know if that guy was making a scientific comparison or a brag that I'm from Texas and everything's big in Texas. You know, that's a good point. Like, given the way that the dialogue of this movie goes, I actually kind of believe that. Like, the banter between the crew. like Because, like, you, you can tell the crew, like, you know, they've worked together, they've been together. They're not... I don't know if they're colonial marines exactly. I mean, they're certainly armed. I, I guess they're... But I guess it's the... Clo you know, I don't know if they ever really say either, like, exactly the organization. Maybe they well, do. Well, they, they do. It's, like it's not super those. important anyway, but... No, it's not NASA, but it's, you know, the United States Space Exploration Division. Right. It's, it's, it's close enough... Door. It's close enough to colonial marines that you might as well call them that for all that they are. I mean, we can understand that they're all obviously in the military. Right, right. And it makes sense. Like, you know, it, it sort of makes sense um, that it would be under the auspices of the probably Air Force or something in this time. But I want to set up, let's let's set up the, 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 the rocket ship that they are in, because this is where our entire oh, yeah. movie will be set. And it's and the it's, classic. It's the yes. total classic cigar shape, like straight out of um, straight out of the Bugs Bunny cartoons, cigar shape. Yeah. Yes. Ship. And 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 it's the movie will pr pretty much take place vertically. Because yes. it's each deck Which is a, a neat set. Yeah, it's a cool setup. Each deck is about the size of, you know, uh, I don't know, a large studio apartment. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a large loft apartment, say. Yeah, with like a hole in the middle. And each, or or yes. think, of, think of living in a lighthouse. It's pretty much think of think of what living in a lighthouse might be like, except it's, it's a bit bigger than that, like somewhat wider. But it's got your central stair and then, um, you know, room all around it. It's actually really neat. <laughs> it's, it's a really neat set. Yeah, at the center of each deck, there's a hatchway and a staircase leading down to the next deck. Right. It's and, basically you know, it's, on the inside, pretty much you'd, what you'd think it might look like. It gets smaller at the top and, yeah. you know, down at the bottom. And, you know, it seems like most of the movie will take place in the middle decks, but at the top part is the bridge control section, and at the bottom part is storage. And after we're pretty much introduced to everybody, you know, real quick, like, you know, here's the crew. And the only one that really seems to have any hostility. And again, the hostility isn't great, but Colonel Van Heusen is yeah. pretty insistent that, yeah, he murdered his crew to, you know, so that the supplies that would last the entire crew 10, uh, entire crew a year would last him 10 years which doesn't really make much sense in the motivation for, for murdering everybody. No. It only took two months, four months, I'm sorry. It only took four months four for months, the rescue right. to show up. Right. No, yeah, it doesn't. No, the, 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 the um, no, um, Izod, but, Colonel Izod's logic doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Plus, you know, uh, the new guy is moving in on his girl. Well, that and the other thing is they did seem to find the skull of one yes. of the other one yeah. of the crew members with the bullet hole in it. Which so that doesn't look good. Now, the other thing, too, is it's not entirely clear because um, they don't really like it, that. That part doesn't isn't really said. It's not entirely clear why it's just a skull. Um, we don't know if that's like the remnant that the uh, alien left behind after the attack or like if they cleaned this things clean just to show him the bullet hole in the skull it's just yeah he's just got this like clean skull with a definitely a bullet hole in it well and and, and carruthers explains that explains as they happened, were explaining yeah. as they were exploring mars a dust storm hit they were being attacked by the creature they were all everybody was shooting and you know one of the crew members may have accidentally taken a bullet entirely the chaos yep. entirely believable so again, nobody's believing them, but you know they're prepared to take off, and they're heading back 
to Earth when Van Heusen knows notices, hey, one of the hatches on the lower deck is open. What gives? Yeah, mind you, they're in the. Um, are they in space at this point? Like, have they lifted off already? No, no, they're still landed on. Okay. Like, and and that's when when one of the crew members called or calls back. Oh, that was me, uh, Van Heusen. I was just I had the hatch open. I was dumping some of the the garbage, and uh, I got it closed. Now we're all set. If you didn't close the screen door. And that's when we see that apparently it has taken advantage of the open door and snuck on board. Yeah. So they take off into space and, you know, there's with the entire crew. So there was nine members of the, the rescue team and Carruthers. Mm-hmm. Two of the members are women who we will see are serving coffee. Yes. Uh, one of these, <laughs> one of these we know is a medical professional. She's obviously the ship's uh, doctor. Right. Because she does the autopsy and she's treating all, you know, all the injuries. But no, <laughs> serve, serve the coffee, clear away the dishes. Light right. Cigarette. <laughs> I mean, it might be 1973, but it's still space 1958. Yes. <laughs> um, our female lead played by Sean Smith is, again, it's obvious, you know, there's a romance between. Although we know Van Heusen is in love with her, but it's never clear whether she's actually, you know, she's obviously I mean, fine with Van Heusen, but it's never clear that she is his it, girlfriend in any way. I mean, she's in, she's immediately holding Carruthers' hand, like, constantly. So, no, I, I don't think she has the, um, I, yeah, I don't think she has It's not reciprocated. The... Right, no. Some reason, I don't think I don't think it's yeah, I don't think she likes L.L. Bean as much as uh he likes her. And and for some reason Van Heusen has given her the pet name of Chicken. <laughs> yes. Which it seems like such a it seems like such a Van Heusen thing to do too. There's something like the, the the thing I don't know if Van Heusen is supposed to be as unlikable as he is. Um, cause he's like, he's not evil or anything. He's really not. No. Um, but, but he's like, he's, he's, he ends up being more unlikable than he's probably supposed well, to be. Well, he, he, he tells the crew that, you know, by the, by the time they'll reach earth, he'll, they'll, he'll have Carruthers confession on tape. Right. And, you know, to be fair, you know, he thinks he's guilty of murdering his crew. Right. He's a hardo. Yeah. He's kind of, he's, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a hardo, but, um, and, and, and seemingly not... a possessive one of someone who he may or may not actually be in a relationship with, right? You know, and our female lead, played by uh, Sean Smith, although that was a stage name, I think Shirley Patterson or that's, something. That's what I have, yeah. Yeah, uh, not that it matters. I tried no. to look into it. I couldn't see why she used the stage name, but whatever. No, no, and not that this should tell you anything, but if you were to look up, you know, uh, the folks in this movie, it seems to be the last movie for a lot of them, or near the last movie for a well, lot of them. The stuntman Ray Crash Corrigan, who plays the creature, yeah, this was indeed his last picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah, she seems to, like, one, she obviously feels bad for Carruthers. She sure. kind of believes his story. Um, I think the... she wants to, but is like, I mean, you know, look what you're expecting us to believe, right? And that seems to be the case of most of the crew, except for Van Heusen. You know, Van Heusen feels it's his job to, like, make sure that, you know, this criminal is brought to justice because he's convinced of it. Everybody else is, seems to be like, well, you know, 
well, seems like a nice guy. Maybe he's telling the truth, or maybe there's something, you know. The second in command, Royce, played by Dabs Greer, um, points out that, you know what, I think, you know, whether or not we believe it, he, I think right. he believes it. Right. Like he's positing, like maybe it was space madness or something. Like he yes. just went nuts. So as they're heading back to space and, you know, heading back to Earth, they're, they're, most of them are hanging around in one of the upper decks when uh, on a lower deck, uh, Kindholtz, who we don't get to know much more than his name is Kindholtz. Right. Here's noises be- uh, below uh, in the storage area where we know the creature is. Right. So this goes about as well as you expect it to. Yes. He goes down to check it out and is attacked by the creature, killed, you know, he screams in terror. Yeah, yeah. As he's attacked by this creature. Now, again, this is this is 1958 movie alien attack, not, you know, Ridley Scott or James Cameron alien alien attack. So they can only do so much. But honestly, it's a pretty effective scene. Like I could see 1958, Todd, you know, at the age of like 10 or something, being like riveted by this movie and 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 that and being freaked out by that, you know, really short, fairly innocuous by really modern standards or even not much later standards, but I, I don't know, man, that guy sells it. That the scream screen, is sold. <laughs> yeah, the know? screen sells it. Now, for some reason, only Carruthers seems to notice, like, the blood-curdling scream. Right. And everybody's like, I didn't hear nothing. He says, well, on Mars, I learned to hear all over again. Well, I mean, with all the smoke in the air, it kind of makes sense. They're playing cards, you know. They're playing chess. Talking, 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 um, of chess, rather, right? Talking, you know, man stuff. So. Space man stuff. Carruthers is like, well, let me. I'm gonna go check it out, and everybody's like, everybody's rolling their eyes, like, oh, here he goes. You know, he needed a smoke break anyway. Chasing his, chasing his space monsters again, and he goes, well, who's who's supposed to be, who's supposed to be down there? And it's a Kindholtz, and he goes and looks, and he says he's not up there, and they're like, he's around, and everybody starts calling Kindholtz, and. Van like, Heusen is like, Kainholz, we just get up here, and that's when they realize, well, Kainholz isn't answering. Right. So they head down, and everybody's looking around, and nobody can seem to find him, and, and uh, Van Heusen says, this makes no sense. There's just no place on this ship for a man to hide. Well, clearly there is, right. because one, they can't find the guy, and two, again, we, the audience, know there's a monster hiding in the ship right plus i mean later on you see them you know the scale seems to be way off which is a you know one of the many flaws of the effects of an otherwise pretty good effect uh especially for the time but we know it's a fairly large ship it seems like there's plenty of space to hide so they all leave the area and one of the crew members gino stays behind and you know grabs a pack of cigarettes from the storage and just as he's lighting up the creature comes up behind him and kills him Again, all, all off screen, you know, it's pretty yes. much as you would expect. Yeah. Like there's not, this isn't, again, this isn't Ridley Scott, but, you know, take it for what it is. It's actually pretty cool. And then when his brother, Bob, gets up because he had just left Gino behind and they're all looking for him and they're like, wait a minute, well, where's Gino? And they're like, he was right behind me. They turn, they run back down. It's like, but, but we were just, I was just here with him. We were here together. And so they start searching the area and they're like, well, maybe he fell and he's hurt. And that's when they find Kainholz's body stuffed in an air shaft. Yeah, it's like a it's it's almost like um, Laurie finding I forget which friend it is um, 
in uh, Halloween. PJ Souls, PJ Souls yeah, in, in Halloween. It's it's very similar. Like the arm just kind of hangs out from behind him and then the whole body falls from out of the duck. Which, so they, which nowadays is very much a trope. But in 1958, I don't even know if that was done before. They pull him out That would have freaked me the hell out. And they say, you know, of course, Bob is like, well, maybe my brother Gino's in there. And one of the other members, Purdue, goes, well, I'll go in and look. I know I know these shafts. I've worked on this ship for a while. And he goes in and he finds Gino again, all basically dying at death's door. And Purdue is attacked by the creature, but he gets away. Now, uh, we had mentioned this again you know, before. Like, I don't know. It's not like I've watched a ton. You've certainly watched more classic sci-fi than I have. But again, the whole like you know, crawling through the uh, ship duct. I I I don't know if I've ever seen outside of um, Alien the first time. It's very. Uh, I wonder if that's the invention of a trope, (laughs) you know, that I assumed that aliens had you know invented as much as anyone popularized. I guess not invented, but. But it is similar to the scene of Dallas moving through the ductwork exactly. of the Nostromo. Yeah, exactly. So Purdue is injured, but he gets away. Um, you know, tell me there's, there's, there's a monster in there. And, you know, uh, they evacuate. They, they seal the air duct up. Uh, he tells most of the people to, to leave. And Calder... Van Heusen and Carruthers stay behind to booby trap the ducks with the large cache of grenades. Yeah, that yeah, carrying the, on board a surprising amount of yeah, you know, uh, Korean era, you know, probably World War Two era pineapple grenades. Yeah, so they set up all these trips traps, and again, you you have to assume that they know that the the hull of the ship must be impervious to I, grenades yeah. exploding. Yeah, a lot of them too. And firing of guns because because uh, uh, Purdue fired his gun at the creature as well. Now, at least these group of people like coordinated the fact that they were about to lace the entire room with grenades. And we're pretty sure they weren't going to kill themselves doing it. Unlike, say, a certain Mr. Hawkins. Yes. <laughs> Hawkins would have just been like, oh, hey, guys, let's go. Why? Well, because like, I just wired everything with grenades. We probably want to leave now. If you bothered to tell him. So they set it up and, and they get out of there with uh, they, they unfortunately have to leave the body of Gino behind, which upsets his brother, Bob, and they carry the body of Kineholtz back up. And when the which he, doctor... totally, he totally could have grabbed Gino's brother, like he could have yeah. totally grabbed him and pulled him. Up, I mean, you know. because when he finds Gino, he was justifiably Gino, terrified. <laughs> Gino is kind of being like. Uh, like almost kind of looks like he is trying to tell Calder uh, Purdue to get away. Right, or warn him, yeah. Instead of like, well, whatever you're trying to tell me can wait, and and dragging Gino away, he's immediately, like, immediately, yeah. He's like shaking Gino, like, talk to me, what's going on, Gino? Right, like, like dude, just pull you... him out of there. Right, right. He, he did have a good couple of seconds to get Gino out of there before the creature shows up and attacks him. Right, like it's almost like he just bumped into him at the water cooler. Like, hey, Gino, what are you doing here, buddy? What? No, so you rush, let's chat. <laughs> they know. take care of the injured What's that Purdue. impending shadow? They take care of the injured Purdue and they do an autopsy on Kineholz and they she finds that the doctor tells like he's been sucked dry of every bit of moisture in his body, you know, and 
Royce points out, well, you know, Mars is a, a planet almost completely devoid of water. It would make sense that the creature needs to suck out water of its victims to survive. Now, is It the Vampire from Beyond Space a better title than It the Terror from Beyond Space? Because I guess that was no. the original title. It feels a little punchier, but n- neither of them are Beyond Space, as you pointed out. Mars is very much space. <laughs> and it might also just put into people's mind a guy dressed as Dracula running around space. That might have. That's true. That very well might have been it. They might have felt that, you know, if, if the vampire might be taken to literally. So the creature escapes from the ducks and sets off all the grenades. And they hear the grenades going off. Yep. And so our heroes head down to check out what's going on. And grenades ain't done nothing to the creature. The creature pulls the MREN rifle out of Calder's hands, bends it in half, and chases the the crew back up, up a deck. And, you know, the, they seal the deck behind them. And you know, and the the um, the director, like, the, well, the crew here anyway uh, of the film, they make an interesting choice, obviously for purposes of saving money, because uh, you don't see, at least in the beginning, you don't see the creature a whole lot. Uh, just as well, it's uh, it's obviously a rubber suit, um, probably not the best quality rubber suit, but again, this is 1958 sci-fi, so you're you're getting what you're getting. So just you know, you can just go with it. But one of the things that I think they did, which was a cool side effect of, again, probably cost-cutting measures, is a lot of the movie takes place with them, like, overhearing things from, like, the lower deck. And I actually think it ends up being pretty cool and pretty effective and, and kind of, you know, builds tension. Um, you Hearing a lot of the stuff happening more than actually seeing it and, and the crew's reaction to it and, and, and building tension with it. I yeah, think that's so, some of my favorite parts is when they're just kind of like hearing all of the chaos going on, wondering like what, what the hell it is they're going to do next because it's going to burst through the door at any minute. At this point, Van Heusen has become a little bit more accepting of Carruthers' story about yeah. the space monster. Right, right. And they start looking. Old Navy's gotta, starting to come around. We got to start deciding what we're going to do against this. And that's when the, the, the ship's doctor points out that Gino had developed like a gas grenades joke being, you know, if we run into any dinosaurs on Mars, these gas grenades will take them out. So. Yeah, which was a great throwaway line. Uh, <laughs> that's one of the best throwaway lines in, in cinema history. Like, yeah, oh, he, he made gas grenades because he said, like, if we ever run across dinosaurs on Mars, we could use them. Sure. Sure. So they open up the I hatchway. It. I absolutely just... love it just above and they see the creature moving around below and the creature starts coming up the ladder so they throw the gas grenades down close the hatch reel close the hatch again and wait a few seconds to see if the gas has any escape has any effect on the creature and again it does bub kiss and as they check as they wait a few seconds and open the hatch immediately the creature reaches out and grabs hold of Van Heusen's foot, clawing up his foot, and they, you know, slam the the hatch down to separate them from the creature again. Right, and they slowly they slowly pull together little bits like, oh well, he it would make sense that he's so you know is so uh, hardy because Mars is so awful um, that it would have to adapt to it, which are similar lines to Alien. Well, other movies, I guess, but Alien in particular, where they're explaining why these things are so hardy in the in the hard exoskeletons and things like that. Um, it's, you know, harsh environment ends up harsh and nearly indestructible alien. They also, def- like, while the doctor is now 
attending to Van Hughes's wounded foot, she develops, she discovers some sort of alien bacteria in the wound. And both Van Hughes and, and it's Purdue, they say, has it as well, but Purdue doesn't seem to be suffering from it, the effects nearly as much as Van Hughes. Not at all, no. Van Heusen is obviously, in, you know, he's he's constantly sweating. He's he's delirious and in pain. Like and... I, I almost wonder if there's some sort of like, uh, psychotropic aspect to it because you're right. Like, it it really it doesn't seem to do much to him. I mean, sorry to um, it it doesn't seem to do much to um, um Purdue at all, uh. It hardly even slows him down. Like really, he's more affected by his leg than anything else, which is you know nothing to do with the alien. Um, but in the case of Land's End, it almost seems to like enhance the kind of hardoness that he already had to the point where it starts making him more unhinged. Although I don't, again, I don't know if that's just him being ultimately desperate because now he's terrified because he he's not in control of a situation that he was certain he was control of before, well, or what exactly. And it seems that the rest of his crew are more than you know willing to now have Carruthers take command. Right, and plus his 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 girl is holding hands with the new guy. Yeah, it's not going well for him. So Carruthers comes up with another idea that Carruthers had obviously seen Howard Hawks's the thing from another world. Right, and they're going to try to electrocute the creature. But what the plan is, he and Calder are going to go out the airlock spacewalk outside the ship and come back in on a deck below where the creature is and set up the electric the electrocution trap so we see them go out and they do this little spacewalk and yeah it's not the the greatest special effects the the effect is okay it's just as you pointed out the scale is way off so it does like take you out Uh, because but i'm otherwise actually kind of impressed for again for the time and everything again. I you know add for the time for almost everything that I say here because you kind of do have to say that. Also for the budget, I guess. While the rest of the crew makes noise to distract the creature from our two guys coming in below, and the noise they make to distract the creature is dialogue recorded <laughs> from earlier in the film. Yep, it's it's supposed Chatter. to be them talking and stomping around yeah. and, and making noise, but it's what's played on the soundtrack is, is conversations that were from earlier in the film. So Calder and, and, and um, Carruthers come in below. They set up the electrical trap and it don't work. No. Yet, yet another thing that basically, and and it's it's funny, like you know, Corrigan is is great in this. Like he's doing a pretty straightforward, you know, alien kind of um, Frankenstein sort of walk deal. But his yes. rea- his his different reactions to all the different like attempts for the crew to kill him are kind of fun because he plays an annoyed alien, annoyed and confused alien very well, annoyed, confused and enraged alien very well in, inside that suit. Because um, you could almost just see him as like, oh man, ow, like what are you doing, <laughs> you know? Because like nothing, none of the stuff, nothing they've done yet has done has done little more than just kind of like su- surprise the thing slightly. Like you're constantly making this thing like it, it would be as if you know you're constantly there, stepping on Legos. It's like ow, 
Man, right. when I get a hold of you, kid, for leaving your Legos on the floor, boy, you're going to get it. Right. Kevin Kevin was more effective, far more effective to the Wet Bandits than these guys have been to this creature at this point. And the creature is just, again, more ticked than anything else. So now, the unfortunately, the creature attacks Calder. And he doesn't kill him, but he smashes Calder's faceplate so he can't escape back out the airlock, which Carruthers does. I should but, I should mention at this point, by the way, Paul Langdon as Lieutenant James Calder is my uh, Wood Bissell winner, uh, mostly for the the scenes he's about to do. Okay, um, I'm I, I'm going with Dabs Greer as as Royce the basically because he is the man of reason throughout the entire film. Sure. So you all right? I'm going with Calder basically for the scenes that he's about to do while trapped. You know. Yes. Yeah. And they're they they are very well done. So Calder is able able to manage. He manages to get himself in between some machinery where the creature can't reach him, and he's also got a, he's still got the acetylene. Yeah, like, yeah, like a blowtorch of some type. Yeah, that you know he can push into the creature's face anytime it tries to reach in, and he tells Carruthers like you know I'm not going to make it because he gets his leg caught as well, and he's broken his foot. He's like, I'm not going to make it. You know, my face played a smash. I'm injured. You go. And Carruthers has to go back out the ship into the top. And that's what he's got to tell everybody. You know, uh, Calder's still alive, but we didn't we didn't do any damage to the creature. Right. Like we did absolutely nothing to the creature. Like basically each now it's even worse. Like like it, it got even worse. It's almost like those like the um like you know, the comedy kind of situation where where you know, they, they go out and come back and everything is like, you know, much worse than if they had just left it alone. Um and that's almost in this case because now they have yet another person, not dead, but basically another casualty anyway. Like they've they've reduced their side even more, um, and this poor guy Calder has to sit there in between these two things, and, and every time the creature kind of pops over, all he can do is just poke his blowtorch in its face, because uh, that's at least enough to piss the creature off uh, off enough to leave, um, presumably hot enough for even its skin. But so far, that's the only like vaguely effective thing they've done at this point is learn that if you shove a blowtorch in its face, it'll at least walk away. And but it also does it gives Calder that they're able to communicate with Calder through his suit microphone which and is, the ship's communication, which are which some fun scenes. Yeah, they're, because they're... he's also able to give them information on what the creature is doing while they're doing other things. Right, and it builds again. It builds kind of fun tension, which you know, I, I like a lot of this movie. If you were to say, "Look, why do I need to see this movie?" Because a lot of it's already been done better in Alien, and you'd be right. Like all I can tell you with this movie is, if you want to see like the genesis of it um you know do so because it's 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 worth doing because yeah it still holds up it's not just like well it, there's a passing resemblance and it's kind of dull but you should watch it just for the sake of it it's like no this this movie does hold up uh, as far as i'm concerned it still does um on its own again you know all things there, there are considerations you have to take when watching it but um man I, I, it 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 still holds up better than you think well and and now to give the crew another problem to deal with um van oh. Heusen is dying of the infection and, and the only thing that's working is giving him more blood and you know medicine that they don't have it's all down in storage it's all down right it's all down where the monster is or or below it and uh yeah like so the scenes with uh calder having to communicate with them you know through the through the through the uh the um monitor like i, I could see that 
again, I'm trying to imagine myself as like a kid in the audience seeing this for the first time, like, I don't know, just the, just the tension of not really knowing what it is he can see and just expecting that creature who's already killed, you know, multiple um, being on top of him and, and every moment like that's I don't know, that's just that's just really cool. That's just really well done for the time. Again, probably a side effect of trying to save some money, you know, because it's cheaper to, to just like, you know, have dialogue that way. But I think that I think they weave it in to make it really effective. Um and I like Calder's line. Like Calder has a line that says, "Like you know, it, you know, I'm, I'm okay as long as I have this torch." Uh, it says it lasts three hours of continuous use, uh, or your money back, or something like that. Yeah, there's there's a number here where I can lodge a complaint if I'm not completely satisfied. Right. He does so, like I don't know. Like it's it's really cool. Like I, you can you can you can feel his tension. What I like about this movie is that they're playing what must have felt absurd in 1958, you know, to go, to go on this limb, especially with this, you know, with the, with the cheap effects, but they're playing it so very straight and so very sincere. Uh, and you feel it, man, it, it works. So they decide they have to go get the supplies to keep Van Heusen and Purdue alive. And that's when they get a uh, call in from Calder saying that the creature just went into the engine room, the, the, the uh, reactor room right. and Carruthers runs over and it hits a switch on the command console that closes the door to the reactor room. Right. And he goes back, Calder, what's it doing? It's like nothing. He's just in that room. And they're like, all right, this is our chance. Let's go. Right. This let's is go great. For the we supplies. Can, yeah. So Royce Carruthers and Gene and Bob Gino's brother head down and start grabbing the supplies and bringing them up when Bob says, we still haven't heard anything from the creature. Maybe I should go down and I can get Calder and bring him back up. And they're like, good idea. Go for it. So while Bob is down there and he's helping Calder up from with the creature right in the next room, but the door is closed between them. Van Heusen gets up off the bed and says, yeah. oh, I'm going to open up the reactor shielding and the radiation will kill it. It'll, it's enough to kill 100 men. It'll kill. And you can tell by Van Heusen the way he's speaking. He's completely delirious. Oh, yeah. No. But, but he's also he's like, he's, ki he, he's kind of got a point. It's just like, all right, we'll slow down. Wait for them to come back. Well, and that's what that's what the doctor and Anne who are up there with them say well wait till they come back and no no now's the time now's the time yeah yeah like certainly wouldn't want to end up accidentally killing that Carruthers <laughs> you know? so he um, opens up the shielding which has an effect on the creature because sure. it obviously is bothering him right the <laughs> effect creature's, is creature's like I'm out yeah the creature is now busting down busts down the door while Bob is still trying to help Calder up the ladder Calder sees the situation and dives back to his hidey hole with the torch yes. and yells to Bob, Smart man. go for it. You know, because Calder can't run on his broken ankle. And right, I'm Bob screwed anyway. Yeah. Unfortunately decides to take off, take a few shots at the creature instead of bolting yeah. up the ladder. And the creature gets a hold of Bob. It's, it's horror movie logic. Yep. As Carruthers and... Royce realized what's going on. They flee up to the upper decks with the medical supplies while Royce says, what about Bob? Carruthers yes. says, that'll be a great movie in the future. Love Bill Murray, but we don't have time for that now. 
It really like it's a it's a weird line, which it, or I should say it's probably a very weird line in 1958. But come 1990, yeah, it all comes to pass. So they head back up and they're basically back in the situation they were, except now they're down yet another man. Yes. Calder is back hiding behind the machine with the blowtorch. And now it's Royce and Carruthers, the two only able-bodied men, which, because this is the 1950s, the only able-bodied people. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, come on. Anne and the doctor are perfectly fine, but, you know. Yeah, but. There's, I mean... there's, no, there's no coffee to be served at this point particular point in time no i mean if they need like an ashtray or something they can help out but um van Heusen is completely delirious uh he's he's given you know he's given uh carruthers the business like oh it looks like you got away without a scratch another person down but you got away how is it you always get away did you throw calder at the monster to get away and that's when calder says like don't listen to him van Heusen's got it all wrong it's not what happened Cut to Carruthers and Anne's holding hands again. And Royce goes over to, to answer Calder. Yeah, we heard you. Thanks. Right. <laughs> yeah. good, good luck down there with the monster. Right. And, I mean, we're fine. But now the well, now the creature is on a tear and it is ripping its way up to the the, sh- the ship to get at the last of of the crew. Which actually, the creature breaking through stuff, especially the um, as it's trying to pound through the um, middle chamber, like this is a this is a pretty good effect too, as it's tearing through that. I don't know what materials they were using, but it certainly does look like something's bashing through a steel door. So our two wounded, our two, and our our four unwounded crew members, Carruthers, Royce, Anne, and the Doctor. I cannot remember the Doctor's name. I'm not even sure they actually say it. Uh, do they even? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like they 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 really go more by more by names than anything else. Uh, you know, like you do hear a couple of like titles, like um, you know, Colonel Carruthers, Colonel oh, Houston, you, Lieutenant you know Calder. What? But they do say her name. Her name is Royce. She is the wife. Yes. Of the second in command. That's right, Mary. Yeah. Yes. So they're you know they have made their I, way. They. I I love that scene where um it's Mary. Yeah, yeah, it's Mary when she's talking to um. When she, when she's talking to, to Faded Glory, and he's like, um, you know, you can be honest with me, you know, uh, it's it's not at least she's like not saying a word because she has like no idea what to tell him. Well, he asked if am I going to make it? I yeah. mean, if we all make it, because he's dying of whatever this infection is. But he asked like, am I going to make it? I mean, if we all make it, and she kind of like just kind of <laughs> looks down, <laughs> and he's like, yeah. all right. So now they they are barricaded in the top of the she ship. I mean, in her defense, she doesn't know, but it's it's like it's I I kind of laugh at the scene, but it's more or less an uncomfortable laughter. Um, it, but yeah, it's it's I don't know. Well, that, basically, that to me. you know, what is she supposed to tell right. him? Like you're dying right. of an infection. I have no idea how to fight. It's just I don't know. Like it's it's just it's just fun writing to to put that in, and and the way it plays off, just a look on her face, like oh no, he's totally screwed, but she can't say it. But she's also not sure. It just it works. She's she's good. She's not in many scenes, but that's a that that's a good scene for her. Even though she doesn't say a word, she plays it off well in her face. So they have barricaded themselves in the the control section of the ship, which is as far up as they can go. <laughs> and they've got you know stuff piled on, and they're they're gathering up all their guns, which they know are useless. They've got themselves yeah yeah 
a bazooka. I have a bazooka. Yeah. I'm not a. It's it's a bazooka, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that within the movie it's a bazooka. Right. It's like a space bazooka or something. Yeah. Yeah. So they they got that trained on the hatch for when it comes through, and they hear it pounding on the door, and it's like, all right, this is it. Either we kill it or we die. And that's when Carruthers is looking at the gauges and he says, like, wait a minute. Royce, look at this oxygen consumption. It's way, way up. Even with all the chaos that's been going on, we shouldn't have this much of a discrepancy in oxygen. Especially being down several crew members to breathe it. So that's when they come up with, yeah, this creature must have enormous lungs, you know, for the thin atmosphere on Mars. Right. And that's when they come up with the idea, we're going to blow the airlock. Blow all the oxygen out. We're going to get in our spacesuits. We're going to empty the ship of oxygen, and we can fill it back up for ourselves when this thing suffocates. So Carruthers gets to Calder. It's like, since you're clear, you can make it to the airlock down there. You can't get out, but you can at least seal yourself in with air for the duration, you know, so Calder will be okay in that airlock. And then just as that thing is busting through the hatch... Van Hugh, well, it busts through the hatch and it gets between the switch for the airlock and Carruthers. Mm-hmm. They fire the bazooka at it. Of course, it does nothing. Van Hughes does nothing. one last heroic effort. He jumps. He opens the airlock. All the oxygen is being pulled out of the ship. The creature slowly suffocates and dies. And our movie basically comes to the end there where we're given an announcement that of all the people that left from ours, only six will be coming back. Right. Because Calder survived, Carruthers survived, Royce and his wife survived. And survived, and apparently Purdue survives. Yeah, Calder, Calder, man, he's that's a tough dude. He survived multiple hours alone with that thing, with a broken leg and um, radiation, probably, with a failing suit. So, yeah, yeah, I'm. It's it's kind of hard to tell, but maybe the suit protected him from the radiation. Maybe the machinery was between him and some of the radiation. Oh, again, I I'm mean, fine. I'm sure as soon as that creature busted out, they put the shielding back up, too. If, if a horror movie can be good and have a decent amount of the cast survive at the same time, I mean, that's a good movie. Like, if a movie, if a, if a, if a horror movie has enough confidence to keep, you know, enough of its cast alive, then they, they believe in their movie. So I'm totally fine with that. Yes. And again, it's the movie just, it, it never, they're never not doing something. Right. No, they did. Like, again, like it's it's there are definitely there there are absolute considerations you have to take throughout as you know, again, of the time. So the effects are of the time and like, technically even cheap for uh, of the time because this was this was low budget sci fi. But, you know, give it a shot and um, you might be pleasantly surprised that you're, you know, suddenly enjoying a movie from full on 60 years ago. And it's only like we said, it's an hour and 10 minutes of your time. Yes, yeah, it's it's a little it's a little slow in the beginning, but that's what ten minutes, and then the rest of it is them just dealing with this alien as it slowly like tears its way through the ship towards them. But even, um, even when there's no action going on, the characters keep it entertaining enough. I can't stress it's how well many acted. Yes, yeah. 
how many movies I've seen like this that are just dreadfully boring yep. for the vast majority of their runtime. Yep, yep. Especially this back in the day when they were feeling out the whole genre and what they could actually do with it. Right. And whether and, or not it would even be a thing as opposed to just some, like, forgotten, like, side note. Some of these movies, you know, like, you know, a lot of them are only about an hour and 10 minutes long. But let me tell you, 45 to 50 minutes of their runtime are usually scientists sitting in yeah. rooms talking about what's going on. Right, right. Um, and not that it really matters much to the film, but technically the entire film is told inside of a f- framing sequence. Um, that like, you know, UN type thing that starts with the uh, beginning of Carruthers' story and then ends with the story in general of how, like, you know, dangerous Mars is. And, um, you know, is it, uh, Mars is an- another word for Mars is death or something. Like, we must we must bypass the planet because uh, Mars is another word for death. So I don't think Elon Musk has seen this movie. He probably should. Yeah, well, then the implication is for all they are, no- they know there are more alien creatures still alive on the planet ready yep. to make mincemeat out of anybody who lands there and and i'm I'm sure if there was a um you know a they the terrors from beyond space sequel you know the the government would be trying to like take them to use as like bioweapons or something more than likely um speaking of sequels um did you know because i didn't know about this until like maybe an hour ago did you know there were comics for this did you have them did you read them there were two two series of comics apparently Yes, but I believe one was just a reprint of the previous series. Okay. And they are a basically an adaptation of the movie itself. Okay, so they don't continue the story. It's not like the further adventures or whatever. No, I looked into it and I think it's just straight up adaptation. Okay, so you didn't read them either because that was going to be my no. next question. You haven't read them. Okay, yeah, no. you know, it's weird... I get well. I guess tech. I mean, I don't want to straight up say Alien is a remake of this, but it is interesting that no one has taken this to remake it in order to um, um, make a ripoff of Alien. Because like, where I'm trying to think of, I should have thought of this harder earlier. Because I'm trying to think of good examples where like the thing that seems to rip off of the thing is actually based on the earlier thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Um, well, I mean, you know, like we we made some comparison. Like, yes. In both movies, an alien, a hostile alien creature makes its way onto the ship. It sneaks around the air ducts. It, right. it tackles right. the crew one by one. They're not entirely sure how to deal with it. And they end up getting rid of it by opening, you know, by, you know, in, in one movie, it's sucked out the airlock. And in the, this movie, it's just suffocated by lack of oxygen. Right. Like, I think it's like, um, I think like Digimon, right? Like Digimon seemed like the, the lower budget knockoff of Pokemon, but I think Poke- like Digimon, you know, predates uh, Pokemon by quite a bit. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm kind of surprised no one made, like did a remake of It the Terror of, of Beyond Space just to exploit Alien. Well, yeah, but you I know. mean enough. We but there's been enough. There's of... been enough movies exactly like it. So yeah, exactly. Yes. Like a, mean, a, a lot of sci-fi after Alien is basically a remake of Alien, which is basically a remake of this movie. So yeah, which again, which if anything, it only it only helped those creators by, like you said, you know, when when they make Forbidden World or Galaxy of Terror or Creature. You know, and everybody's like, well, you're just ripping off Alien. All they have to do is, like, oh, well, technically we're ripping off it, the terror from beyond space. Right, right. So there. Right. We're capitalizing on the success of Alien. Exactly. But that's yeah. not what we're ripping off. 
it's a fun, you know, it's a fun movie, especially when seen under the, the genesis of a, of a handful of tropes that we would take for granted le- uh, later. Um, and it's only, yeah, it's what? It's worth an hour and nine, ten minutes of your time. You can watch it like it's it, it was made to be a double feature. And I would say it still holds up for that, you know, to this day. Like if, if you're in the mood to see a movie and you have an extra hour, pop this on before it, you know, I don't think you'll be disappointed. No, no. So um, we named our Whip Pistol Award winners. Uh, did you bring any recommendations? Um, the, so the immediate recommendations would obviously be Alien, Aliens. Um, I would also add... Um, uh, uh, the thing from another world, um, which is a contemporary, uh, a, a bigger budget um, contemporary, probably, well, certainly anyway, more successful contemporary. Um, and then honestly, like, yeah, well I, well, I guess the other one that that isn't just, you know, evocative of basically aliens would be Pitch Black. Um, Pitch Black, it has a similar theme, you know, to the start of it in, in, in that in the case of um, Vin Diesel, you know, he's a prisoner, so it has a little bit of that aspect of it. Although, you know, the, his prisoner part of it is not technically integral to the backstory. It does play a part to the story itself, but it's a really fun, it's a really fun, you know, people under attack from aliens kind of movie that I don't think it's recognized enough. The character of Riddick does, and there were some su- successful games about it, but it started with Pitch Black, which is to me the superior movie. Um, and, and property of the franchise and, and still a movie I really enjoy to this day. Yeah, I'm going to go with more movies that were f- basically from this golden age of movie sci-fi era myself. Well, I figured I'd leave that because like you, you yeah, you, you have a much better nose for that and have actually seen this movie. I really hadn't. I, I, I can only go for a bit more contemporary. Well, you had mentioned Howard Hawks's "The Thing from Another Ex- World." Exactly. I mean, that's probably the which most, is you know probably the best of all of them. Mm-hmm. Then I would go with um, "Fiend Without a Face," which also stars Marshall Thompson, who is the star of this movie. Was it "Fiend Without a Face" that was the double bill with this? No, that was uh, "Curse of the Faceless Man." Curse of the Faceless Man. I would do something that sounded similar. There you go. Yeah, "Fiend Without a Face" is a community in around an airbase is being attacked by what start out as invisible creatures and they do some really fantastic effects showing the movement of the you know creatures you can't see like you know something moving across a, car- a thick carpet and oh, you know not they do some amazing effects with it and then when you so it's almost like predator Yes, and then when you see these things, you're like, "Oh, that's what they look like." They're they're large brains yeah. moving along on a spinal. Oh, I've cord. seen this. Yes, that's a good movie, though. I, I yes, yes, but I've definitely it, seen this. It, it is really fun, and it's actually kind of gooey and gory at the end when they start yes. killing the creatures. Yeah, no, I that is a good movie. I've I've seen that. Yeah, it, it took a while for to, to get the description in. Yeah, but yeah. So th- those are my recommendations. Um, anything else to say about the it, the terror from beyond space? Because we could name there are so many it movies, you know, besides, of course, the world famous Stephen King, you know, Pennywise, the dancing clown. It there's, you know, it conquered the world. It came from beneath the sea. There's another it movie starring Roddy McDowell with a, you know, a golem that, you know, they end up having to try to nuke at the end of the movie. 
No, I mean, uh, again, the, the reason why, the, the, I mean, aside from just enjoying this movie, the reason why I picked it in particular is because um, it's, I, I want to have it as kind of a gateway to some of the, the, the classics that inspired the folks that we, you know, we take their creative, we take their creativity for granted to this day. Yes. And, 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 you know, there are a lot of people who are just reluctant to check out older Right, you know, black right. and white. This and is I one get it. worth checking out. I get it. Like I am, I am one of those people. Um, most, fa- most famously, as as I've said many times with westerns, so it's always fun to find one where someone is like, no, no, this one is exceptional, and find out that they're right, and be like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I gave this a chance. Yeah, uh, uh, no, a lot of these, a lot of these fifty low budget sci fi act sci fi horror you films didn't miss anything, <laughs> no, except for except for quaintness. Yeah, you, know. you 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 missed what was very much the parody, you know, throughout the Simpsons. And you know, what? there is some kind of fun in some of that, but you can get that out of one or two movies and be like, okay, yep, I've I've seen what I needed to see. Um, it takes you you need to see something you know exceptional to really have it last with you, and and I think it is. Uh, flaws and all. Um, I, I think it's an exceptional one, so I wanted to bring that one up. And I guarantee you, almost any of those free streaming services out there show a lot of those movies because most of them are in the public domain. Yep. So check them out. Um, so finally, uh, got to do the Magnificent Seven Degrees. Mm-hmm. This was a tougher one because Marshall Thompson was really the only person here whose film career outside this movie I'm familiar with. I mean, Dabs Greer and Crash Corrigan both had had made a lot of movies, but I don't, off the top of my head, can't really name many of them. No, this was a tough one, because like I said, when I looked it up, because I, I had no idea, like I didn't even try, but I, I was just curious to see, you know, what other folks had been in. And this is the last movie for a lot of people, so unless you're very familiar with movies previous to 1958... Uh, specifically, this would have been hard. And these, again, I don't know how well-known, except for Crash Corrigan, and as you mentioned, Dabs Greer being in other things, but uh, it's not like I would have been able to pick either out or name many movies. I I don't know how well-known... These actors were in a lot of stuff, but I don't know how well-known any of them would have been to even have seen those movies on top of it. So this was a tough one. This this, this would have been incredibly tough to do. It's not like... It's not like any... Like, I, I don't... Yeah, I'm not even sure... I think we have Dab's Greer in something else, which is how you're going to make this connection. But I think that's literally it. And we don't have a single thing that anyone else is in. No, I, after, I found out recently that Dab's Greer was in House of Wax with Charles Bronson. But I didn't know that off the top of my head, so I'm not using that. Okay. Marshall Thompson, after thinking of it, you know, the movies I'd seen Marshall Thompson in, he was in To Hell and Back, the Audie Murphy story. Okay. With, of course, Audie Murphy. Audie Murphy was in a Western called Posse from Hell with John Saxon. Okay. John John Saxon. Awesome. John Saxon is, of course, in Battle Beyond the Stars with Robert Vaughn. That's right. And we don't make a lot of connections using Robert Vaughn. We're usually James Coburn or Charles Bronson. So I'm glad I was able to do a Robert Vaughn and and. And also fire John Saxon's name somewhere in the middle. Though. That's really cool. Yeah. So your your streak is uh, your your streak remains alive. This one would have been a real tough one. I almost wouldn't have counted this one because not not that the movie is obscure. At least to genre fans, like there are some fans listening to this would be like, oh yeah, I know it. I've seen it many times. Having in my collection, and in which case, you know, right on, um, fantastic. But this one, 
yeah, this this one, at least the actors anyway, like the pool of actors was kind of obscure uh, and didn't do much after this to really pick apart for something you might have seen, you know, through your um, 50s and 60s. But you've watched an awful lot of Westerns. I was pretty confident that you'd pull something. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, while they, they, these may, may not be marquee names, these these actors did do lots of tons of stuff yeah like if you look at like i said this was the last movie for a lot of folks but if you look up what they did you'll see like oh wow they did 12 movies in 1957 they did nine movies in 1956 that it's 15 movies in 1956 you know uh 55 it's yeah like they, they they were definitely working yes they were so as always, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Movie Matt Sorois, all one word, M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be posting some screenshots and as, as well as a publicity shot of it, the Terror from Beyond Space, which shows Crash Corrigan holding actress Sean Smith over his shoulder in what could not have been a yeah. comfortable position. It's not a scene that takes place anywhere in the movie, but it's a great publicity shot. It is a, it's an excellent publicity shot. Shot Gives you a good idea of what the monster looks like. And um, no, the way that she is draped, like you'd think she'd be forward, because that would be the nor- normal way a body would bend, but no. Or be cradled she... in his arms the way most monsters carry the beautiful damsel. Right, right. Like, I wonder if she was... Um... I wonder if she was like a dancer or something or can just like maybe she felt comfortable bending completely backwards as if her back was just like broken in half and he's just walking away with it like a sack of rice. Um, and then and, and the way that she's, which is not a scene that takes place in the movie, obviously, but um, the way that they have her in that weird, unnatural position, it's it's kind of a chilling photo. Like that's You're not supposed to bend like that. Which I, I, I hope that w- was a very deliberate thing. Like, oh, no, no, if she's facing the other way, it'll look like way creepier. And man, it does. Like, it doesn't look good. It looks creepy. Yeah, it looks like she's about to give a, a not a full Nelson. A, um, what's that wrestling move? Oh, in this case, it looks like some sort of like, yeah, like fireman's suplex. Supl- yeah, like a fireman's carry into a suplex. It's, it's, it's not a natural position that anyone would want to be like carried in. It's All almost right, like so the caveman carry, but she's facing the wrong way. Yeah, You'll be able to see that in our, on our Twitter or Instagram account. And yep. as always, we thank you for joining us and hope to have you back next time. Oh, yeah. And the uh, what is it? The, the 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 Facebook group, which if you're ever trying to contact me, like that's the only way to find me is I, I, I pop my head up in the uh, movie Asylum of the Weird, Bad and Wonderful every so often. Yes. Yes. Forgot to mention that. <laughs> so thanks for being here. Yes. Thank you, everyone.